I think for anybody who feels they have to be the best and like I'm going to outwork everyone and, and all this, it can become quite toxic and can really get you down because no matter what, there's going to be someone out there that's better than you in whatever capacity you see it in. So why not just collaborate <laughs> and work with these people and see them as inspiration? And there's always that quote where like, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. And yeah, if you surround yourself with people that are doing really well, you, you don't need to see it as competition, just see it as let's all work together and do awesome things. Hello and welcome to the Women of the Future podcast, a podcast made in collaboration with the Women of the Future programme, a platform built to unlock a culture of kindness and collaboration among leaders, as well as support and celebrate the successes of women. I'm Kim Rowell and I won the media category at their awards in 2018, in recognition of my continued work as a commissioner, producer and children's author, particularly within the mental health remit. I'll be talking to my guests on this podcast about their careers, who or what gave them their first big break, their successes, failures and inspirations along the way, and how they came to be a part of the Women of the Future Network. Bibi Lucille is an award-winning actress of stage and screen, including leading roles in the TV series Purgatory and the Amazon Prime drama Trust. Bibi was nominated for the Pastel Film Festival's Best Actress in 2019 with the film All Inclusive, received the Star Now Rising Star Award, and was the recipient of the Woman of the Future Award in the Arts and Culture category in 2021. Bibi's one-woman, Offie-nominated show Meet Cute was written and co-created with her cousin. It sees the main protagonist endeavour to convert men to veganism and will hopefully be coming to a screen near you very soon. I was super lucky. I grew up in Ealing, very sort of middle-class classic home and I went to a state school, so it was Elthorne School. And yeah, it was a very normal childhood. I was the sort of... You know, the in-betweener classic wasn't too popular, wasn't too much of a weirdo. And yeah, my parents were like, I had a, a great home. They were very supportive of everything. And I grew up with one sister who's like four years younger than me. And she's like the complete opposite, of course, really into sort of politics and clever stuff. And then a bit of a turning point was when I went to a school called Twyford in Acton. And it was very much like, I just felt a bit like a fish out of water. It was super academic and the teachers were very much obsessed with getting people into Oxbridge and the stuff that I was so far from doing. And yeah, I just had a bit of a crisis of like, I just want to act. I was just going off to auditions and like missing school and stuff. And I remember my head teacher brought me in and she was like, BB, if you keep missing school, we're gonna have to chuck you out. So the deal was with, my parents as well as with the school that I just need to finish my A-levels and then I can go out and do acting and be free. And then after that, I tried for drama school, but they didn't want me. I was a little 17, 18 year old with no experience. So that was like, oh God, should I even act because drama school doesn't want me. And then, yeah, I just got straight into doing some work to kind of trial it out. And I feel like if anyone wants to be an actor or go into you know, a, a creative industry where it might be a bit more difficult to get jobs. 
to just trial it for a year or take a gap year before you apply to drama school or music schools because I feel like it really prepares you for what it's actually like and then you can make a really good decision based on that. I think it's, it's really interesting I find it fascinating because people always say to me how did you get into media and I kind of chart my progression but I don't think like you've just said there is no one route necessarily but I was interested to know what you were doing like extracurricularly as well because I'm assuming within amateur dramatics and drama and the arts and what have you there's an awful lot of what you've just alluded to of self-investment and practicing and honing your skills and your craft and how did that apply to the trajectory that you were on? Yeah I, I was really it was one of those things where I was so obsessed with drama and acting I was like I don't care about anything else but which is obviously quite narrow-minded because the more you learn about it well it's such an obvious thing to say but the more you learn about other people and other people's professions and people especially outside of the acting world the better you are because you get to learn about them so I think I figured that out in my late teens and that's the way I sort of started to try and hone my skills was by doing jobs like working in boots or you know uh, the call center and doing uh, catering and stuff where I got to meet all sorts of different people and I think that's how I managed to hone the skill a bit more without going to drama school and then in terms of extracurricular stuff it was it was always like literature and I did a bit of photography because <laughs> that was kind of the A level where I was like oh yeah I can do that fine that'll be easy uh, it wasn't easy and then yeah, what else was that? I, I got thrown into science, which I was really unhappy about at the time. But because you had like those things that you're not naturally gifted at, it means you have to like put that extra sweat in. So I'm really glad that I did it in the end because now I know all about hemoglobin in the blood. That's not even the word for it. So. <laughs> you sound like you know what you're talking about, which is probably the most important thing, right? And your parent, like you said, your parents very sensibly said finish your A-levels then you can pretty much do what you like which is nice but I do still feel um I don't know an amazing amount about the acting world it does feel a little bit elitist to me though like you always look at the particularly within Britain you always look at our very successful actors and actresses and you think oh that's probably been funded or supported in some way because when you are starting out like with a few other things as well there is no money in it is there and I'm sure you yourself have probably done odds and sods for free and you know just getting the experience under your belt but you can't sustain that like you know there's, there's no longevity which would then allude to why it is elitist because the bank of mum and dad comes into play but I just was fascinated to hear your experiences in that regard yeah oh my god no you're 100% right there's no room for working class actors which in the media they sort of seem to say oh well Gary Oldman made it so so can you but it's like it's just not that easy and the only reason I've really been able to have the opportunity is because I had supportive parents. They were always ready to bail me out if I needed some money. I've always been able to fall back on them and they've never, I've not had to move out and stuff or like had to go and pay crazy rent in London. And there's another thing, like people living outside of London, they have to come here to act. And then also drama school fees. Like my dad paid for my drama school auditions which were 40, 50 quid. And at the time I didn't really think about the money side of it, but then getting older, I was like, oh my God, how do young kids afford that that really want to do 
that. So acting is so elitist still. And I, I just don't know how it's going to change in the future unless drama schools decrease their fees, which probably won't happen. And also if there's some kind of support for actors starting out, at least some kind of grant for kids that, I mean, I know there are a few, but the kids that really struggle to find money while supporting their career. So it sucks. <laughs> Uh, would you say then that there's been a standout moment or maybe a person in particular that has helped mould your interest? It sounds like your interest was already there, but has helped stretch that out and elongate it and set you on this path that you're now on because you're doing so well. But I would love to know if there's been that kind of light bulb moment or someone that you truly value, even as a mentor, if there's been that person for you. So there was this sort of theatre club every Saturday that I go to called Questers Theatre. Shout out to Questers Theatre. <laughs> and their teachers were so supportive. And the guy that run a lot of the classes was called Alex Marker. And he was, he just never doubted anyone and everyone who was passionate about it. He always got them out of their shell. He was never too like pushy. And it was really just encouraging because I think the default for a lot of teachers is to be like, yeah, it's a really tough industry. Be careful out there. And as a kid, that's like the last thing you want to hear. You're like, no, I can make it. Stop it. <laughs> and he, um, yeah, he just he just never doubted it. He was always like, yeah, go for it. It's totally achievable. If you put the work in. Yeah. So he really inspired me. And then when I was super young my sister got me this Marilyn Monroe box collection of DVDs back when DVDs was a thing and she's just everyone's idol I was always admiring her and just thinking oh my god I want to do that so yeah she's always just an icon in my eyes it's brilliant how though those really fundamental experiences and it can be something as simple as a gift or being exposed to something or watching listening learning experiencing things generally and it really does inspire you at such a formative age it does it does something as small as a dvd mm. it's amazing and uh, from other actors that i've spoken to it seems to be that that was the thing that sparked their passion as well as they would see something that represented them and maybe the parts of themselves where they felt, you know, they didn't belong or they felt a bit weird. And then they saw themselves being represented in a film or a play and they're like, oh my God, that's me. And I want to help other people feel. Yeah. I was reading a piece in the magazine the other day and it was about Lin-Manuel Miranda. He created Hamilton and In the Heights and writes for Encanto and uh, Moana and things like that and he was literally saying just that you know he didn't feel that Latinos were represented he didn't feel like his experiences were how he'd grown up the people from the, his background had really loved as part of their cultural diversity he wanted this to bring all of those influences into his work and people are literally just lapping it up right now so it's just inspiring yeah it's like he's flipped the whole industry and there's so much representation now for Latinas and that's one guy that like yeah completely I think it's important it's not a token gesture either and you know the whole you can't be what you can't see that just needs to be fully embraced so that everybody feels like the opportunity is there no matter where you're from what your upbringing was like you can just literally the world is your oyster I think yeah. that approach is so important totally I remember seeing um I play with Kush Jumbo and she was doing a one woman show, Josephine Baker. And 
it was basically her saying that when she was a kid, she saw Josephine Baker on screen and was like, oh my God, she kind of looks like me, kind of sounds like me and was so inspired by her that that's pushed her to get to where she is today. And I was like, that's so cool. And you yourself already, you're an award-winning actress and you've placed lead roles in some fantastic productions as well as BAFTA winning films and I can go on and on and on. And you're the winner of the Star Now Rising Star Award. I'm speaking to you because you won the Women of the Future Arts and Culture Award last just last year. I can't believe it's already last year, but just a few months ago, really. But across all the work that you've done, is there any one thing in particular that stands out for you or that you're particularly proud of? Yeah, oh, it was definitely the, well, the, the show that actually got me to, to hear to Women of the Future was the one woman play Meet Cute that I wrote and then my cousin directed and yeah I think I was so proud of that because I never thought I was capable of anything like that ever or would have the confidence to get my writing out because I guess most creatives do write as a way of just you know it's just cathartic and it would just be in a private folder in my computer that just said never open this if you're <laughs> and yeah I just, I, it was such a private thing and then to then get the confidence to put me cute out and to have my own writing and also as a comedy as well you always think your own sense of humor is really weird so I didn't know whether it would land but yeah I'm really proud of myself for being able to get up and do it despite the like sheer fear of getting work out but yeah, I'd recommend any actor to do that. If you're doubting making your own work, to definitely just go for it. And if you can manage to get a really good team around you, even just one person to help, then you're flying, you know? You, you can do so much. We talk about resilience quite a lot on this podcast, but what inspired you to take that leap of faith? Like you say, if it was a private folder and you're like, no, no, look at this, I'm not ready or whatever. What was the instigator or was there like a, was it your cousin maybe who just said like come on let's just do this let's grasp the ball by the horns oh yeah it was 100% her she's just like such a firecracker <laughs> she, she's so much braver than I am in so many ways again that's another strike of luck for her to be my cousin is just great and we we'd never really worked together like I always knew she was obviously a theatre director but we had never thought to put ourselves together and make something because it's such a risk isn't it arguments happen and things go wrong but in this case things go right and we we basically just had like a wine night in lockdown in her garden <laughs> and then she was like Phoebe I'm putting on this scratch night thing you only have to write a 10 minute segment it's got to be about environmentalism are you in and you know obviously with my wine mind I was going yeah <laughs> and from there I just managed to just write something like oh why not and then, yeah, to have her really egg me on and be like, you can do this. This is great. And she's also very brutally honest. So I think people need. Oh, that's helpful. Honesty, yeah. But to help you with your writing. As long as it's constructive. I'm sure it's constructive. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so Meet Cute, as you just said, it's a one woman comedy. It's a story of a woman called Lena. Is that right? And she tries to convert men to veganism. Yeah. It did, where did that idea come from? Was that another wine night? Was that part of the same night? How did you come up with that creative idea? Oh, that was the wine night. <laughs> it was almost semi-autobiographical. So I, I was like, what, what are we going to write about? Like, where do I even start? 
and she said well you know you're always turning your boyfriend's vegan and every guy that I've dated I've always attempted to win them over with veganism and then she was like just write about that it's hilarious you've got such weird stories <laughs> and I was like oh yeah maybe that that could work and then it was like 5am and, you know, I couldn't sleep. I was feeling so sick and disgusted with myself for drinking so much. And then I just got my notes app out and I started thinking of all these things about being drunk and how I felt being drunk and just started writing that. And then it just escalated and, and it ended up being like seven in the morning and I got the 10 minute piece. And then I sent it over to her and I was like, listen, if it's awful, fine. I won't be offended. I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> if it's good, then great. I take full credit. And as like a one-woman comedy, is there any sense of vulnerability in that? Because to me, that sounds terrifying. <laughs> like clearly, you you've honed your craft and your skill and what have you. But to stand in front of an audience and deliver a show that is just you, ultimately, mm. how do you feel about? How does that make you feel? Oh, it was definitely the most terrifying thing, career rise I've ever done. I remember the first night in Chiswick Playhouse when it was just literally all my friends and family had bought tickets. <laughs> just them, like no strangers, which is so much worse. And I was standing behind the door kind of waiting for the queue and I'd never felt so anxious in my life. Just <laughs> sweating, my heart was racing. And I, I just remember standing there and thinking, why do I do this? Why does anyone do this to themselves? And then obviously you get out there and you the endorphins and everyone applauds and you're like, oh, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, it was terrifying. I think the only reason I had any kind of faith that I could put it off was Fleabag had come out and post Phoebe Waller-Bridge World, I think every female actor was going, actually, yeah, if this one woman can get on stage and do that, then mm. why can't I? So I think it's great. It's, it's added this whole wave of courage to all of us. Yeah. And the, you can't be what you can't see. If there's an appetite for it, it's just inspiring, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. You always need your, your little spark of inspiration, spark of hope to be like, they can do it, so can I. So how did you first hear about the Woman as a Future programme and what's inspired you to get involved? I think it was on Instagram. Somebody must have followed it or I was going down a bit of a social media rabbit hole and I saw it and I, I was kind of like, oh, this looks cool. And then did a bit of a deep dive and it said, you can nominate people and it was the perfect timing for like the nominations had just opened and I was like you know what why not it's been a tough year I may as well treat myself and the application was it was quite fun as well I mean because obviously you've won it so you remember it was just talking about you know career and yeah I was mainly just talking about meet you as well and working over lockdown and, and what I wanted to achieve with it and then just completely forgot about it. And then the email came end of last year and I was like, oh my God, no way. <laughs> like manically written an application for it. So yeah, that, that's how I found it. And also you won, um, which is absolutely fantastic. Congratulations. And the awards came back in person and it was such an amazing evening to have everybody in the same room again and just to celebrate all of the nominees all of the women and men that were there <laughs> can't forget the men how was it for you was it just overawing did you have it must have had a great night oh it was insane it was just amazing I'd never been to 
an awards evening before, one of that scale as well. And I dragged my mum along and we've never oh, seen her yeah. Prosecco at the beginning. So we were just like, no, let's just go crazy. <laughs> and then, so we had a table at the back and then me and my mum, we were like, okay, we know I haven't won because I'm at the back. So let's not, let's not get excited. You know, let's just enjoy the evening. And also like the other candidates were just mind blowing. I said it before, I'll say it again. I, I'm a total imposter sometimes. I guess it's imposter syndrome, isn't it? You always think that you're, you're doing worse than everyone else but yeah I was just like well they're all amazing so I'm just gonna sit back and just just enjoy it and then yeah I got called out and I was just in so much awe it all went by in such a blur and I I mean I said in the, the speech as well I'd spill Prosecco down my dress because I was just you know <laughs> and so I really was not presentable that night <laughs> but yeah it was really great and it was so nice meeting like all these other people and like these women that I've become friends with now like making more friends and contacts and it's just such a lovely network to be a part of and yeah I think anybody who wants to put themselves forward for it or just get involved anyway they 100% should because it's a lovely atmosphere I had the same mentality I was like oh tables at the back of the room and then another girl on the table won an award and I was like well that's the award for our table and the award was right it was one of the last ones to be announced so I was a little bit drunk I think and then I was like oh crikey and they actually read out my name and my husband was just Kim you need to move you actually need to go and get it <laughs> I was like oh my lord but yes yeah, so I suppose it's a word to the wise do not outrule yourself or count yourself out or whatever because yeah you say it's imposter syndrome isn't it and you just think it's not going to happen and I've been reading recently there's a thing called the chimp paradox where there's a part of your brain which is the chimp which basically is all the nonsensical stuff you tell yourself to talk yourself out of something but um yeah I think we all need to manage our chimps a bit better but yeah congratulations it was just so wonderful to see you in and hopefully this is the start of a lovely relationship with the network as well it definitely is and also Pinky that founded it is just such Mm. a legend oh yeah so cool and one of the the events that like come after it when it's a bit more tight-knit she was going everybody come over to mine I'm gonna make you my finest potatoes Mm. and I was like wow that's so nice yeah you will be there you'll be eating one of her amazing curry buffets before too long if you haven't already that's for sure I haven't yet and I Okay, I have some quick fire questions just to finish. So to start, what would you describe as your greatest success? Me cute. And your greatest failure? Not getting into drama school, I think. Do you really regret that? Do you feel like that was like a rite of passage that you yeah. missed out on? Or? Yeah, on my shoulder. <laughs> yeah, I really, I do wish I'd gone, especially because the training that you get from it and the sort of actors that I've met coming out of it and how... God, just talented and professional they are the sort of the training that I, I don't think I had access to in the industry but who knows there are some people that say you don't need drama school to get I was going to say but don't you think that your skills now are comparable just the, the sense that you haven't been professionally trained I don't know I, I just wonder if how differently I I would act if I had gone because I guess it's it's the unanswerable question, isn't it? Would mm. I be better or worse? Would I overthink things? Or because right now the way I act is very much just on instinct, and I'm always basically just trying to copy other actors and their techniques, and like learning from them rather than sourcing stuff online. But I don't know. Did no. you audition? Did you go to auditions? And... Yeah, I auditioned for two years. So I, I did all the big ones like 
Rada Central Guild Hall. And I got to the second round of Central and Rada and then I just completely fluffed it and lost my cool. And also because I've been in the industry for a while, I remember Rada said, you've had too much experience now to go to drama school because oh, wow. you've got your own acting techniques and we can't kind of mold you to be the actor that we want to come out of our drama school. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> but that sounds a bit backwards in coming forwards in itself, surely, because you can't just, because someone has experience. It's like saying anybody past the age of 25 can't go to university or, you know, that just seems a bit bonkers really. It does, yeah. Unless they were kind of like, you know, they hated my audition and they were like, yeah. <laughs> experience <laughs> well I'm sure that was not the case but anyway well, it's a mystery yeah. isn't it okay so the mantra of women of the future is kindness and collaboration what does that mean to you in both your personal and professional life I think in personal life it just makes life good and it's there's a lot of pressure to be competitive well, nowadays and in the past, we, there's always been this pressure to win the rat race and be the best at everything and everyone else is a competitor. And it's so insane. You sort of end up realizing after a few years of really buying into it that it's just a bit mental to always see other people as your competition and to always be jealous. And it's gotta be, it sounds a bit conspiracy theorist, but it's gotta be <laughs> some kind of tactic to try and get you to either work harder or you know buy like beauty products because you don't feel like you're hot enough because you're comparing and yeah there's this constant weird competition so I, I really like with the woman of the future everybody has their own thing and is successful and doing well in their own right nobody feels in competition with each other in that network which is such a lovely atmosphere so yeah that also leads into career life I think for anybody who feels they have to be the best and like I'm going to outwork everyone and, and all this it can become quite toxic and can really get you down because no matter what there's going to be someone out there that's better than you in whatever mm. capacity you see it in so why not just collaborate <laughs> and work with these people and see them as inspiration and there's always that quote where like if you're the smartest person in the room you're in the wrong room and yeah if you surround yourself with people that are doing really well you, you don't need to see it as competition just see it as let's all work together and do awesome things yeah completely and then I'm, I'm going to completely misquote this but there's that Madeleine Albright quote that there's a fresh place in hell for people that don't or women I think she said that don't help each other so it's just you need to literally I probably have completely um, misquoted that but along those lines is what and that I complete I see what she's saying entirely that as much as like you say it's a competitive landscape we're all looking at each other thinking like I want to be that successful but that should spur us on and it should also encourage us to facilitate for other people and I get no greater joy than when you see someone fulfill their potential and if there's anything that I can do to help in that it might just even just be a, a listening ear or a really short conversation or a connection which is what women of the future is all about if you can do that then you, you should 100% do that and it's not about you missing out it's about helping someone else out because we're all different that's the beauty of life as well 100% there is always going to be enough to go around whatever enough is you know <laughs> Mm. in terms of yeah money and success there's no limit to it it's not like some finite thing that you can kind of go only you can have this and you can't have this so 
yeah and then comparison god it just destroys you doesn't it and thief of joy yeah that's that's it another quote mm. <laughs> <laughs> coming out with all of them now <laughs> talk, guys. Yeah. but yeah yeah don't want to compare do not compare is there anything that scares you spiders <laughs> <laughs> all of them big ones little ones Oh, the big ones, house spiders in particular. Oh, yeah. There's also a certain season, isn't it, where they all hatch out and you're like, what are you doing in the middle yeah. of my living room floor? Yeah. season of my birthday. So I'm born in September and September is the time, like the weird month where they all just appear. So yeah, that's great. Happy birthday to me. Other fears. I don't know, I, there's so many, you know, when it's like 2am and you're awake and you're thinking, what if I never do this? I guess, you know, money is always a big worry. London is just so expensive and like oh, yes. it's crazy and of course acting is such a volatile industry you've no idea what the next paycheck's going to be so in the back of my mind I'm always a bit like how am I going to make money I, I think there are ways really great ways nowadays with like the internet and TikTok as well which surprisingly is so much information about making money that we can really I, th I think we've got some good opportunities to get out there and make some money without having to feel the need to do the jobs that we really hate so, yeah. yeah and it's about seizing the moment isn't it like whether it's a, a viral video or just taking an opportunity or having a conversation it's sometimes opportunities come out of the most obscure you know you're having a chat with somebody or you're walking down the street or you go into a shop or meet a random stranger and then doors open bizarrely I hear, I hear what you're saying money is something that's fundamental to all of our lives unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah. and also I was saying to my, again having a chat with my husband and I was just saying it's really sad about how it gives you an advantage because there are so many hugely talented people that just don't have the opportunity to put themselves in front of the right people because of money or because of you know their background or whatever it is that they're trying to break out of ultimately and that just seems hugely unfair but again it comes down to people like you and I potentially helping and yes. creating those opportunities and giving people a voice oh my god definitely and yeah and to be able to get to a place as well where hopefully you know my cousin and like her theater company will have enough money over time to then really give people some good paychecks that mm. we know haven't had the best opportunities and and there's also I, there's a really weird thing about demonizing the poor that yeah completely a huge culture and in those motivational speeches and like those really I don't know if it's bad to say like macho events where they're like you gotta grind every day and wake mm. up and the newspaper and there's also this thing going around with Molly May how she said you've got the same 24 hours a day as Beyonce and obviously I mean oh. she's she probably just said that on a whim and shouldn't be taken so seriously by it but there is a real thing of if you've got the time you can be rich but yeah it was the insinuation that poor people are lazy as well when yeah. some of them are working multiple jobs all hours that god sends coming home to families they're trying to feed and keep a roof over their head i think it's just i appreciate molly may was completely taken out of context but even yeah. so you just <laughs> yeah you need to be careful don't you and yeah it's not helpful no it's definitely not no so yeah, even though we all have the same 24 hours, definitely don't all have the same opportunities. Mm, exactly. <laughs> That's the quote. What is left on your to-do list? Oh, gosh, got to do a wash today. 
you know when you like have so many projects in your mind I'm like I'm gonna do this all in a month but that's just not gonna happen I I really want to make a film version of Meet Cute that's on my to-do list and again more jobs to be able to hire people so you know when we get the funding from someone if you're out there and you have 20 grand we can yeah really pay people equity rates and create a nice film and hopefully it'll be a platform for everyone to showcase something they're really proud of and pitch it to network I mean this is all sort of the ladder of how it's gonna happen so yeah that's a big one on my to-do list and I also wanna I wanna get back into music but that's a sort of a time thing isn't it where we always want to learn stuff like the piano and the guitar and I just I just don't know when I'm gonna do it but are, are you quite musical already yeah or well not? my dad's a musician um, yeah. I'm named after BB King you know the old oh that's yeah. very cool yeah <laughs> yeah so so I was always just raised on on music and my dad like taught me to play guitar and stuff but I, I was always quite narrow-minded about it I was like oh, I can't be bothered I just want to do acting and then I never really took advantage of the fact that you know I had a sponge for a brain as a child and I didn't <laughs> soak up all that music all those music lessons so yeah I'd really like to get back into that it's on my to-do list. Bibi it's been lovely speaking to you and understanding more about what makes you tick and you're so engaging and energetic and enthusiastic it's lovely like you were saying a sponge I think I feel like I've just absorbed all of your energy over the past <laughs> half hour so thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure oh thanks for having me it's been great thank you for listening to this week's episode of the woman of the future podcast if you enjoyed it please hit the subscribe button and while you're there why not give us a rating and review you know you want to for more about the Women of the Future Awards, network and initiative, please visit www.womenofthefuture.co.uk. See you soon.